Welcome back to the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover or shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to the Next Level Minds podcast and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague if you think they got some value out of it. Now on to today's guest and episode, I am blessed to be sitting down with Dave Hurt, who is an entrepreneur, father, leader, someone who's passionate about building up others, and somebody who's done a lot of cool stuff at an early age. Dave has overcome a lot of different adverse situations, starting from the way that he grew up. He unfortunately grew up in a very rough household and had to overcome a lot of adversities at an early age. However, he did not let that stop him as he did go on to graduating his high school first in his class. Then he went to NC State as well as UC Berkeley. He got a job in recruiting uh, in 2012 and then he went on to start his own business and had multiple locations, 100 employees, and then ended up exiting um, his business because he sold it to a private equity firm uh, in his late 20s, early 30s. So this is going to be a great episode that I'm extremely pumped about because I- I'm going to talk with Dave about adversities, about failures, about setbacks, um, and then ultimately how he did not let his situation define him and went on to create a successful life. And he's still creating a successful life as he's only about 36 years old, I believe. And most importantly, Dave is a devoted husband, dad, and builder of other people. So we're going to dive into a couple of those things as well. Let's go ahead and start diving in. Dave, thanks so much for being on the Next Level Minds podcast, brother. It's an honor to be here, sir. Thanks for having me. Dude, I've had all this like anticipation when we first met in person. I was like, all right, you're going to be a podcast guest. And I've, I had some things on my schedule. You had some things on yours, but I feel like this is like a year and a half in the making. So I'm excited. Yeah, I, I will take full responsibility. I think it's been more my fault than yours, but I'm glad we were able to finally get it scheduled, man. I'm excited. Hey, the, the stars always align when they're supposed to align, right? Absolutely. Cool, man. So uh, I know we're sitting at, what is it? Almost Wednesday. So you had a pretty good week so far on your end? Yeah, so far so good, man. We're, we have a six-year-old daughter and she's in first grade. So we're in like week two or three of first grade. So that's going well. She's getting into the routine and work's good. Business is good. Family's good. Wife is pregnant, expecting a baby in another month or so. So glory to God, brother. Nice, man. You got got a lot of good stuff going on, like health related, fitness related, business related, family related, which is the most important there. Yes. Um, I guess what was your, your biggest highlight over the summer, maybe outside of the pregnancy? Cause that's obviously a big one. Oh so. man. Yeah. Uh, I think 
outside of of the pregnancy and everything family related and and even look I'll, I'll place it above that stuff it's been my my faith journey um i grew up in a secular home if you can call it that it was really a broken home but i was never exposed to faith of any sort and just in the last year I'm 36 years old, and just in the last year, I've started going to church and really diving deep into my faith. Uh, for the for the majority of my life, I would say I was agnostic and and certainly atheist at points. And now I'm 100% a Christian, and I believe in God. And I've been uh, devoting a lot of my time to that because I feel like a uh, a student right now, and mm. and I feel like I'm playing catch up because. Man, 35 years of my life, I knew nothing about this religion thing, Christianity, faith, God, Jesus. And so that's been huge in my life, certainly for the past year. Yeah, man, that's that's amazing. I, uh, I'm actually reading one of the books that, that you recommended, um, Disciplines of a Godly Man. I know you checked oh, that one so out. so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I recommend any any man, obviously, because it's written for men, but there's yep. Disciplines of a Godly Woman. There's disciplines of a godly family. Uh, all of those books are fantastic, especially if you're a newer Christian like myself and you're sort of trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this thing? How do I live a godly life? What it, what the heck am I supposed to be doing? Uh, and I'm very much a regimented type of person, like mm -hmm. tell me the steps one through whatever of what I need to do and I'll execute. Right. And this book is perfect for someone like that. And so, yeah, I, I've read that cover to cover. I'm working through it again. I sort of read it alongside the Bible every morning. Uh, I get up at uh, 4am and devote two hours to that before my family gets up and uh, it's been life-changing. I, I can't even put it into words, man. Man. So pausing right there, you eat about two hours in the morning, like just to dive in into the word, spending time with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Every wow. day. Dude, that that's so cool, man. Cause that that's on my checklist in the morning, right? I'm I'm kind of a regimented uh individual myself, but can you elaborate on that a little bit? I think that's really cool. Cause mine's kind of just like, all right, I got a, another 15 minute window right here that I'll read, you know, a couple verses, yeah. but like two hours, that's amazing. Yeah. I like I said, I feel like I'm playing catch up and yep. I, I am I'm very big on bucketing time for important tasks. When mm -hmm. back when I worked in corporate America there aren't many lessons I took from corporate America, but this one I, I did. And I've always looked at managing my time in this way ever since it was described to me. So it's a, and you've probably heard this analogy. Your listeners have probably heard this analogy, but you look at your time like a big five gallon bucket and the important tasks are large stones, right? You put those in the bucket first, and then you have smaller rocks. You put those in the bucket next. Those are less important tasks. And then gravel and sand. The best way to fit as much as you can in the bucket are to start with the big rocks. Because if you put the sand in first and then the gravel and then the big rocks, you'll never fit everything in, right? Because the the gravel and the sand fill all the cracks. So anyway, I, I look at it that way. And ever since I've decided to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that's been a large stone in my life, so to speak. And the only way for me with everything else I have going on, the only way for me to invest effective time into that is to devote time to it every day. And a lot of people talk about not having enough time. And, you know, 
I understand that to an extent, but there's always time. And for me, that just meant getting up an hour earlier. So I'd always gotten up around five anyway. So, okay, let me get up at four. That way I can put a couple hours into this. And then after a year, I will have had a significant amount of time invested into it. And and so that's sort of my philosophy with most things. Um, but yeah, so I get up. My routine is essentially I get up, uh, usually chug this much water. Uh, yep. For those listening, I'm showing my, my big metal water bottle. Uh, and then put a pot of coffee on, turn on some classical music, open up the Bible to wherever I left off, open up whatever supplementary book I'm reading, because I'm not quite, uh, I don't know, the, the the strategy of just reading the Bible is not as effective for me as reading the Bible in conjunction with something that's guiding me to an extent. So usually, whether it's Disciplines of a Godly Man or some other book, I'll I'll be reading that. And then I like to find books that reference a lot of Scripture. And then obviously, when it references a verse or a, a part of Scripture, then I'll turn to the Bible and, and read those parts of the Bible. I would say that's my main method um, outside of Proverbs. So Proverbs is is a pretty easy read for for anyone who wants to just pick up the Bible and start reading. It's it's great because it also just sort of says, "Hey, here's how to live your life." Um, so yeah, man, that's what I do every day. And and sometimes if I need a break from the readings, I'll turn to YouTube and put on a sermon from a, a pastor that I like. But those two hours are devoted to God every morning before the family gets up. Yeah, man, I love you mention that. And and the thing I wanted to mention there about time and, and the bucket, like I've heard that analogy. I know the listeners have as well, but um, a, a lot of things I tell people, and I'm sure you do the same, is like, oh, I don't have time. Well, it's like, okay, let's let's audit that, right? How much time are you spending on Instagram? How much time are you mm-hmm. spending on a random phone call that maybe could wait till Saturday? Or how much time are you spending on the, the dreaded television, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. That's advice. Would you be embarrassed to give me your phone and show me your screen time? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I can answer yes sometimes on that as well, right? I think it's an evolving process. But um, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, kind of your upbringing um, agnostic before, obviously, Mm -hmm. your walk with the Lord. Um, and I know in the intro, you know, you've obviously done some, some pretty cool stuff of starting a business, spending some time in corporate America, you know, exiting that business, investing in real estate. Um, and then of course the, the most important of all, like just having a very loving and growing family. Um, but I know you, you really weren't raised in, in that environment. So I would love if you could maybe touch on like sixth, seventh grade, I think is like a good mm. starting point for, for a lot of the listeners out there. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'll take it back a little yep, further just do. because that sort of sets the stage for sixth and seventh grade, which was a very pivotal time for me. I think you hit the nail on the head for most people. We're generally going through a pretty awkward state of existence at that at that age. But so my both of my parents were teenagers. My mom was 16. My dad was 15 when I was born. Uh, both of my parents were drug addicts. Uh, my mom, it was opioids oxycontin specifically and my dad it was crack and um so i had a really really rough childhood like i'm talking abuse crime homelessness all of that stuff and my mom was in and out of prison my dad was in and out of prison my dad basically abandoned us uh when i was pretty young um and then i left home completely in seventh grade so uh that sort of happened because 
I had just had enough. I, I was a kid who lacked self-confidence. I thought that, and, and I think a lot of my sort of revulsion to religion stems from this. I just thought, man, if there's a God, there's no way he would create a childhood like what I've had to endure. So I think a lot of times people can find themselves doubting God's existence simply due to their circumstance, right? And so the pivotal moment for me was in seventh grade. Uh, my mom was was very physically abusive, and I'm talking she would hit me with with a fist. She would punch me. And she was on top of me. I forget what even sent her into this rage, but uh, she was on top of me. It was in in uh, my bedroom hitting me just like picture if you're a UFC fan, picture ground and pound where a guy's on top of another guy just hitting him, right? So I was on my back. She's on top of me, hitting me. And then finally, something just clicked in my head. And I said, and I had never fought back and never, because for whatever reason, despite my upbringing of no values whatsoever, I just would never hit a woman. Right. And so I just took the blows Uh, until this day. I finally had had enough and I just screamed enough. And I kicked her off of me. She went flying across the room, smashed into my dresser. I can picture my, I can close my eyes and picture it just as clear as day. And she looked like a deer in the headlights because I had never done anything like this before. I was a punching bag. And she sort of stared at me for a second, walked out of the room and called the cops on me for, for, uh, physically assaulting her, quote unquote. So anyway, the police show up and my mother, as I've mentioned, was a criminal, basically a drug addict. She had committed fraud and gone to prison and and did all kinds of things. And so the police were well aware of her and, and who she was. And they knew that it wasn't my fault. And I explained myself to them and and uh, they pulled me out of the house. And, and from that moment on, I didn't live with either of my parents. I didn't live with my mother. I sort of hopped around from various family members, grandparents, aunts and uncles, couch surfed at friends' houses and 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 things like that. And that for me was so important because it was the first time in my life I had stood up for myself. Mm. Uh, and it was the first glimmer of my own personal power that I had ever witnessed. And, and it was this it truly was an inflection point in my life because I realized that I could actually affect change on the outcome of where I was going. And, and then, uh, eighth grade, uh, I started to get into sports. I took school a little more seriously and discovered weightlifting and weight training. And that was really good for my self-confidence as well, because for the first time in my life, I realized that I could put in the work, I could get a result, and it was a result that I owned. Nobody could take it from me. My mom couldn't take it and sell it for drugs. You know, um, it was mine. And so that was a very pivotal time in my life. And then I went on to um, play a bunch of sports in high school, graduated class valedictorian, went to college on full scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. But uh I would just say to anyone listening who has faced adversity or is even more importantly facing adversity, 
you can overcome it and you you just have to turn inward and realize the power you have. And so for me, as a kid, that was super important. And up until that point, Chris, I'm not kidding. I I just had resigned myself to thinking, okay, this is my life. I'm white trash. I'm not worth anything. And uh, I just got dealt a terrible hand and that is how it is. And that moment changed everything for me. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you uh, elaborating on that story. And um, yeah, especially you talked about, you know, hey, I can close my eyes and, and see this just like it happened yesterday type of thing. So um, appreciate you bringing that up. I and, and I was about to ask this and you kind of like represented it a little bit. Like, where did the belief come from? Because, you know, that background. Right. And then you obviously have uh, quite the accolade when it comes to the education side of things. Um, you mentioned valedictorian. Right. I was far from that. Um, <laughs> not that that really matters, right? In the grand scheme of business yeah, at all. Not at but, all. Um, I guess my question is like, where did you start to get that belief system? Because you need a strong belief system to, to be successful, right? Yeah. So I would say initially it stemmed from wanting to do everything that I pictured as being the complete opposite from my parents. Mm-hmm. Right. And I saw my only way out of my situation as doing well in school, becoming educated and going to college because, and and remember this is the, the late nineties, early two thousands. So this is before really we had widespread dissemination of information and, and especially the, uh, the idea that you don't necessarily need college to be successful. I mean, this was during a period of time when, if you're going to make yourself into something, you're going to go to college. That was sort of the, the, uh, the path. And so the belief and the sort of direction and objective in my life really stemmed from wanting to distance myself as far as I possibly could from what I knew as a child and, and everything my parents represented. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take this school thing seriously. I'm going to do really well in it and I'm going to get my ass out of here. And so that's really what drove me for a very long time. And, and, you know, I'll be honest, man, I, I've sort of dealt with that later in life because while it's important to be driven, I think that the impetus that drives you is something you need to audit often. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I achieved for the sake of achieving for a very long time. And it it sort of resulted in uh, really being a not so very well adjusted young adult. I, because you, you wrap your entire identity in your achievements instead of something larger than that, right? Something that that's more meaningful than that. And uh, I've, uh, look, I'll be honest, I've had to go to therapy for it later in life because, and and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, you know, sort of hyper achievers and, and how humans of a certain type can really get caught up in that. And, you know, at one point in my life, I was still in corporate recruiting. I owned a chain of restaurants. I was doing a bunch of real estate projects at once, and I just didn't know how to shut it off. And I was terrified to scale back or to shut it off because I thought that it diminished my value as a human. And and it took a lot of um, re-educating myself to learn that my value as a human isn't 
uh, tied directly to my achievements as a human. So I would just add that caveat there. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. Well, I guess my, my follow-up question on that, like, what would you say, and, and it's probably different per person, but like, what is your kind of value then tied to right now? Uh, glorifying God in everything that I do and and being a, a protector and provider for my family. Um, and, you know, some people might listen to this and think, okay, this, all this Bible thumping Jesus talk, but I think that humans, and I'll quote someone we were talking about before we started recording, Vivek Ramaswamy says, uh, and this isn't original to him, but I've just heard him say it recently in interviews, uh, no matter what, we have a God-sized hole mm -hmm. in us. And if we don't fill it with God, we will fill it with something else. It's just an inevitable fact of of humans, right? It's an inevitable fact of humanity. And, and I think that a lot of what we've seen in terms of societal decline has resulted from that. People filling that that void of meaning with things other than God or religion in general. It, pick, pick your religion. And you know, Jordan Peterson talks about religion in the context of, it, if nothing else, providing a, a framework of morals through which you should live your life. And so... Um, that's what I would say drives me today. And and certainly as a, a man who's now on the other side of 35, thinking about my legacy and the impact I can have on the world and, and my community and, and leaving this place uh, to my children in a, in a better spot than where I found it, which is no small task when you consider everything we're up against as a society. So that drives me, I would say. It's, uh, it's quite the laundry list. That's for yes. sure. Yes. Um, Man, that, that's really cool. I think like your why just consistently shifts, you know, and, yes. and I, I like the uh, quotes you mentioned there, you know, like I'm, I'm still growing a lot, right? I'm only 27, but like I had some aggressive income goals by 25 and I ended up like hitting a couple of those income goals and I'm like, well, now what? Right. It like yep. didn't really feel. And then I had another one at, at 26 hit that. And I'm like, okay. Like, and then, you know, the, earlier this year is when I started thinking more deeper into like, okay, like the legacy who I am as a person, you know, valuing my faith. Right. And I, I think every other thing, like besides God, like, you know, drugs, alcohol, all that stuff, like the further you go down that path, the worse it's going to be. But it's like the further you go down the God path, I think the better off you'll be. It's kind of interesting how that those two sides work. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, and money to, to, um, give something else that people often fill that void with. And look, I'm not saying it's not important to make money. I think that, it's very important to make money for what you can do with money and and even more importantly, building wealth uh, for future generations. But I was very much like you. I'm 36, so I've got almost a decade of life on you. But when I was what back when I was your age, uh, <laughs> I, I was very similar in that I was so there were several years of my life where I was driven by nothing but my net worth and i wanted my net worth to be a million dollars before i was 30 that was like what i was driving for and very much like you i got there and i was like okay well now what right and um i i would just caution people to be driven to success obviously that's what your podcast is all about right but be careful in defining success, it needs to be something greater than just making money 
or owning a big business. I think all of those are great means to an end, but you need to think about what that end is, right? And so uh, for me, when I built my company, the the restaurant business, we had multiple locations in multiple states. I had over 100 employees, and I found so much more value in knowing that over 100 people were sustaining their life, their lives from the money they were making from my business, right? Um, so y- you just always need to keep an eye towards what what is the value in what I'm doing, right? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, man. I love that you mentioned that. Um, the restaurant business, we've talked about that a little bit, right? But mm-hmm. h- how did you... <laughs> and we, when we first met in person, like, how did you grow this and the um, scientific recruiting and, and all that? Because it's like, man, 100 employees, multiple different states, that by itself is a bunch of work. So yeah. could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it was insane. Um, so I, so I, I, um, I'll give you a little more of my background leading up to how I actually ended up in the restaurant industry. So I did my bachelor's and grad school in the sciences. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a college professor, discovered I did not want to be a college professor. And then so I was sort of overeducated and unemployed at the end of grad school. And I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. Um, started looking through Craigslist. Uh, this was back when people actually used Craigslist. It was a thing. And there was an ad that seemed like it was written for me. It was like, have a background in science, but don't want to be a scientist want to work in the business world. I was like looking over my shoulder, like is somebody, is the NSA like tapping my phones or something? Um, So anyway, that job ad ended up being scientific recruiting for a company that specialized in the life sciences. So I, I ended up working for them, placing chemists, biologists, engineers, uh, ended up growing with them. And then uh, starting their engineering division, moving into IT. And so I did that for about a decade. But towards the end of that, I had an engineer buddy of mine, actually, and we were kind of over the corporate grind, as I think people often get uh, after putting on the shirt and tie, getting up early, commuting into the city and and just going through the monotonous grind for years and years. And and we wanted more. At the time, I was listening to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk and, and those guys. And, and also, shout out to Bigger Pockets podcast. I was listening to that. That got me into real estate. But we wanted something more. And we discovered, we started looking at franchising, franchise opportunities. And we discovered this sort of newer, growing franchise that was in the craft beer bar industry. And uh, the two of us went in together and and applied to be franchisees. We had both saved up some money, uh, you know, after working in, in the corporate grind forever. And we were accepted and we opened our first location in Charlotte, North Carolina, six months later, because we were both equally insane, which I think, caveat, it's good to have a business partner who balances you out. Mm. Uh, and we did not do that to one another. We were both equally aggressive. Um Six months later, we opened a second location in Myrtle Beach. Six months later, we opened another location and, and so on and so forth. And I kept my job because I wanted to keep the capital flow coming in and I made more money than he did. So we decided he would leave his job, work as an operator in the business, and I would keep my job to keep 
capital flowing in. And but of course, that was effective for the first unit. But then once you open a second one, now it's demanding on both of us, right? Uh, equally, essentially. But I, I held out and kept my job because I wanted to keep that money coming in, if nothing else, for risk mitigation. Since you know, you're you're we were taking on large amounts of debt. It costs about $800,000 to build a new location. And obviously we didn't have that much capital. So we had to take out, you know, a bank loan. And so anyway, I kept the job and it it was literally working from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. in the corporate gig and then leaving that and from 6 p.m. till midnight, 1, 2 a.m. working on the business and uh, got pretty burned out by the end of it. We sort of hit the timing right with the craft beer craze. So, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Everybody is a genius in a bull market. So we were successful. And um, serendipitously, right around the time, my wife was pregnant with our daughter and I was feeling the strain of all these ventures. At once, a uh, private equity group came along and offered to buy the whole thing from us and we sold. So that was in a nutshell that's how all of that happened but certainly there are a lot of lessons i learned through leading yeah. people and hiring people in that industry and and operations and logistics and it was a crash course in everything service industry related and business ownership related for me personally yeah for sure man i i love that you brought that up and uh you know i've been to to uh the, the restaurant that that you started uh because you have a rock or had a rock hill one right mm -hmm. yeah so i've been there yeah um yeah we we had a rock hill one dude we just got super lucky and and you know thank god we sold before the pandemic hit but mm -hmm. unfortunately the pandemic rocked all uh, restaurants in the area and uh i believe uh at least two of the locations we owned have shut down and did so because of the pandemic. So we, oh, wow. we just got super lucky, man. Yes. Um, two things I want to ask you about. Um, so you mentioned seven to five and then you mentioned six to, to midnight, one in the morning. I know, yeah. you know, you talked about being really into fitness. You have some great habits just like I do right now as well. So how did you keep up or did you not keep up like the fitness habits, the reading, all that stuff during that time? Like, what was that like? There were certainly sacrifices. Uh, sure. I was fortunate enough that I had trained and eaten a certain way for the majority of my life from the age of 15 that I stayed in relatively decent shape, being able to train like maybe three times a week during that period. Um, and that would just be, you know, going into the business for a couple hours and then making sure everything was okay, running to the gym to hit a workout, coming back, that sort of thing. And um, reading, I mean, basically was put on hold for a lot of that period of time, to be quite honest. You know, we we talk about work-life balance often, but I, I Thomas Sowell is, is one of my favorite economists. And mm -hmm. he says, you know, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. And, and I think that that's applicable to work-life balance because especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're growing a business, there will be times that you just have to make trade-offs and say, okay, I've got to devote myself fully to this thing during this period of time at this at the cost to this thing. But realizing that it's for a specific reason and for a specific period of time. And then I'm going to come back to that. I think oftentimes people 
try too hard to have work-life balance, if that makes sense. Um, you know, Alex Hermosi, I'm a big fan of his content, and he he talks about how you know the whole morning routine ritual thing is is blown out of proportion, and he's big on just get up and work, get started, you know, get into it. And and I think there's some value to that. I think you can strike a sort of a an in between where you you can have some routine, but you need to be open to making sacrifices if you're starting a, especially if you're starting a business, right? Because you, especially in the business I was in, I mean, I would get a call at 3 a.m. about a, a fight that broke out at my Myrtle Beach location. And I'm like, I pay a general manager for this very reason. Why are you guys calling me? But the buck stops with you. You're the business owner, right? So I think work-life balance is kind of a myth for entrepreneurs, to be quite yeah. honest. Side note before I elaborate more, that that's a classic Myrtle Beach for you right there, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah. Riviera. Yeah, I grew up in the 843, uh, Charleston. So we were always just messing with Myrtle Beach and uh, that yeah. was like our, our I get uh, it. ugly stepchild, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's super interesting, um, especially like you brought up Alex Hermosi. I remember listening to him one time. He talked about like you're in different seasons. Sometimes you're in a season yes. where you're making a lot of sacrifices. Sometimes you're in more of a relaxing season. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you that the first question I did there, just because I, I have a lot of listeners that are starting businesses and they're like, hey, I know you, Chris, you talk about in your stories, like going to the gym, reading all that. Like, I'm just not having the time right now. But I'm like, I kind of say what you said, like, hey, maybe it's not right now. Don't drop those things forever, but like make some sacrifices for the short term for the long term gain. So I like that you mentioned that. Yeah. And I would also be be a little careful with that, too, because I think it's easy for the newer entrepreneur to get caught up in conflating being, quote unquote, busy with being effective. Right. I think it's very easy. Look, if you're starting a business or if you own a business that's in the early phases, you can always find something to do, right? There's always something to do. But sitting there responding to emails for two hours isn't exactly effective work, right? So be careful with that and really focus on... Um, so there's a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. I'm a big fan of it because they talk about the mentality of at any given moment, any given season, whatever temporal scale you want to use, you can have the internal dialogue. Okay, what is the one thing that I could do right now that's most important to drive this forward or to maximize revenue, whatever your your particular targets are? So ask yourself that often and be cognizant of whether you're just giving yourself busy work to feel busy because it feels good to be like, oh, I put in a 12-hour day. Well, how much effective work did you actually do, bro? And could you have taken one of those hours to go to the gym, right? So be careful with that sort of thing because you you can get caught up in that uh, vicious cycle of just, man, I, it, I hear people brag about it all the time. Like I worked from 7 a.m. to 11 at night and I'm like, okay, well, what did you get done? you know? Mm -hmm. So I would just caution with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Um, Cause I find myself on that boat sometimes of like, Oh man, what a well, like today's gonna be a long day, right? I got two hours worth of, of stuff to do after this. And I, I bet if I audit my time, I'm like, I could have probably gotten this day done in like six hours and, and 
put these other tasks off that are, uh, aren't as effective. You know, I call them the, the IPAs, right? The income producing mm. activities. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Not, not the craft beer from your first uh, venture there. <laughs> right. Um, so two more things I want to talk about. Um, rental properties. Did you mm-hmm. jumped into that after you sold to the PE firm or before? Uh, before. Okay. So I, I was always interested in real estate, at least tangentially. And I think it started because I was honestly jealous of kids who lived in real houses because I mm-hmm. either lived in a trailer or was homeless for most of my youth. And so I took a keen interest in real estate. I was I would take the free real estate magazines at the front of grocery stores and just pour through them as a kid. And it would be cool to own that one. It would be cool to own that one. And so um, when I was in my mid-20s and sort of developing my business mind and investing mind, I started reading a lot of Robert Kiyosaki, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, that's when I started to really get into rental property investing as well as real estate wholesaling, which I did quite a bit, and fix and flips and even ground up construction. So I've kind of done various things within the real estate space. But what I will always do is buy and hold uh, real estate investing, because to me, it's just an asset that makes sense. You know, it's tangible. It generally appreciates over time. You have fantastic leverage opportunities, whether it's the acquisition or, you know, while you're holding the asset, you can, you can leverage money against it to acquire another Mm -hmm. asset. And meanwhile, you have tenants in place paying down your debt service. Right. And so it just made sense to me as a mechanism for growing my wealth. And so, yeah, primarily we're interested in small multifamily duplexes, Mm -hmm. triplexes, quads. Um, but Eventually, I would like to get into larger scale syndication deals, large multifamily stuff like that. But yeah, man, I've just always loved real estate. I love just riding around looking for distressed properties, figuring out who owns it, calling them up or sending them a letter, um, all of that stuff. I just love every aspect of that game. Yeah. Plus, it goes back to a deeper why of of when you were a little like, man, I I want one of these houses, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Now yeah. I have a few, so it's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess your your biggest suggestion for young folks would, would be kind of maybe the 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 three and a half percent down like FHA style thing or, or what? Yeah, yeah. So um house hacking is a great strategy, and that's essentially what you're talking about. You know, you can get a three and a half percent down FHA loan on anything up to a quadruplex, right? Because you don't need um you can use residential primary, like primary residence financing on anything up to a quadruplex. So you could conceivably buy a four unit property using an FHA loan, put a small amount down, live in one unit, rent out the other three, right? Pay pay the cost of your mortgage. Plus, I mean, your entire PITI, if you're in a property like that and um, live for free or cash flow. And then eventually you move out, you can do it again, or you can use conventional financing to acquire another one and so on and so forth. So I know a lot of investors who got started that way. Um, I would, I would rec- it's a fantastic strategy to get yeah. into real estate investing. Absolutely, man. I think a big thing, theme you've dropped a lot of the episode is like just the importance of, of self-education, right? You talked about oh, bigger yeah. pockets, talk about Gary Vee. It's like, I feel like a lot of people have all these unanswered questions, but it's like, Bro, there's there's millions of real estate podcasts out there. There's 
hundreds yeah. of entrepreneur books, right? I think it's just up to every one of us and, and all the listeners like to just dive in and, and do it from an educational perspective there, right? It is. And it drives me nuts because I'm in all these real estate Facebook groups and stuff. And every day you see the post, hey, how do I get started in real estate? Like people just expecting for someone to just hand them all the answers. And it's like, all the answers are out there. There are so many resources, you books, podcasts, websites, message boards, YouTube. I mean, you can learn anything you want if you just take some initiative. And um, along those lines, though, I will say to be cautious of analysis paralysis, which is a, a cliche phrase that often gets thrown around in this space. A lot of people will consume themselves with reading books, listening to podcasts, et cetera, whether it's personal development or more specifically real estate. And they feel as though they're being effective, right? Because they're they're surrounding themselves with this world. They're consuming information, but eventually you've got to make moves. So you know, I, I've known guys who have for years just listen to Andy Frisella and Gary Vaynerchuk and Alex Hermosi and all these guys, like every day they're immersed in it. They're like experts on all the personal development and business podcasts, but they've never actually tried to do anything. So you do have to be careful with that because I think that it can almost get addictive listening to this stuff all the time and it makes you feel good and it gets you all hyped up. Um, but you got to take action. So eventually there's no perfect time to do it. Right. And that applies to basically everything in life. I mean, having a kid, if you try to wait mm -hmm. until the perfect moment to have a kid, not going to happen, wait to the perfect moment to start a business, not going to happen. So I would just caution people about analysis paralysis. Too. What What's your kind of like feeler point where you're like, okay, I've learned enough to take action, man. I am probably not the great person to give that advice because I am like the eternal optimist and I'm the like, screw it, let's do it type of person. I mean, I started a, a chain of bars while I was still working a full-time job and investing in real estate all at the same time. So I'm kind of a glutton for punishment when it comes to that stuff. But I, my philosophy is there's no time like the present and I don't know how much time I'm going to get here. So I say in, in, Look, you've got to assess your own risk tolerance. You you've got to take account of of your assets, what what you can do, but I mean, a lot of the things I've done in life have essentially equated to jumping out of the airplane and uh, you know, constructing the parachute on the way down almost. Like you you've just and look, man, you'll you'll either be successful or you'll learn, right? Now, I'm not saying take every piece of capital you have and and put it on red on the roulette table like be smart but as soon as as you feel as though you've got the basic concepts down for something and and you have like let's say let's say it's real estate if you know that you'll need $15,000 to put down on a duplex using an FHA loan um as soon as you have the $15,000 and you find the duplex, freaking do it, right? Yeah. Like I, I know so many people who have been at that stage and were terrified to pull the trigger and they just wanted to learn a little bit more about being a landlord and learn a little bit more about this and that. And it's like, 
you just got to do it, man. So I, I am really big on like, <laughs> just run headfirst into the opportunity and figure it out as I go, which can be good and can be bad. It's certainly come back to haunt me with some things, but um, I would say maybe be somewhere in between me and someone who never does anything, right? Like just as soon as you're at the point where you can afford to do it, you'll feel like you don't know everything. Dude, I started a bar business and I probably knew about 15% of what I should have known going into that, but I figured it out as I went along, right? So I, yeah, I, you just got to take action. Yeah, man. And, and especially as you progress down the path, like you get more and more skilled and you get more and more confident. I yes. mean, like I'm in sales and the full-time gig. And like, I remember my first cold call was like atrocious. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I can pick up the, the phone and call, you know, give me anyone's name and, and have a high chance of setting a meeting with them because I've just gotten so good at it o- over right. time. And like, same with yeah. real estate, same with the bar business. Like I'm sure at the end of the bar business, you're like, dude, I know this like the back of my hand because you were oh, in yeah. the grind of it. So yeah. Yeah. By the time we were opening our third location, it was just everything was essentially second nature. You know, you you just have to immerse yourself in it. You will learn and you'll get better. Um, there's uh, I think it's Alex Hermosi's wife, Layla or Leela Hermosi. Oh, yeah. She talks about um sort of this hierarchy as you progress through business where you start with like being unconsciously incapable, right? So you, you suck and you don't even realize how bad you suck. And then you progress up to consciously incapable. So you suck and you know, you suck because now you have a reference point, right? And then you get like consciously capable, right? So now you can do it and you're aware you can do it. And then sort of the pinnacle of that is being unconsciously capable where you're so good at it that it becomes second nature and you're not even thinking about how to do it. And for example, that's probably where you are with sales, like jumping on a sales call. It's just what you do. It's second nature. Everything will become that way the more you do it. Yeah. And and everyone's got to start somewhere, right? Yes. Um, Absolutely. Man, I'd love if you could end it um, by, and, and I don't know if you remember this this question that you got asked. It was going to ask me anything that you've done on Instagram. And uh, it was a really good one. I screenshotted it and, and they were like, hey, you know, I'm 30 years old. Don't really know like my passion or, or what to do, what direction. Mm. Um, I have it screenshotted if you need me to reference it. But I thought your answer to that was like spot freaking on. What, what was the question exactly? It, it, it was like uh, 30 years old, um, don't really know what I'm passionate about or what I want to do with my life. Like, where would you start to, to figure that out? And you kind of had like two directions, one being if you had unlimited money, what would you do type of thing? Like, mm. I would love if you could, could kind of go through how you answer that. Cause I was like, man, that that's really spot on. And it helped me out too. So. Yeah. I think that um, it's, so I can't remember exactly how I answered that. I'm trying to remember that particular question, but yeah, you get a lot and, of questions. So I don't expect yeah, you to remember yeah. all of them. <laughs> In general, though, I mean, that's exactly right. So if if you really don't know, and I think in our modern era, there are a lot of people that find themselves in this situation. They 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 have no passions. And, and that's really sad to say they don't know what they like. They don't know what they're good at. And so part of that is is trying things like you've got to try things. So I I truly think that, you know, in your twenties, you need to try different stuff. But 
um, along the lines of of how I answered with that gentleman, if if you don't know what you should be doing, I mean, look at what you do if money isn't a driving force, right? Like if you if you had no issues with paying your bills and all you had to do was pursue what makes you happy. I'm pretty sure you could figure that thing out. If if you wake up every day and you've got to do something with yourself, what is it, right? It, it could be as something like I really personally, I love going fishing. I love to fish. I love the outdoors. I love everything about it. I would do it all the time if I didn't have other things to do. So maybe in another life, if I was a young man today with all the technology we have, maybe I would start a fishing YouTube channel or something like that, or some tangentially related business, because there are a lot of of companies that are extremely successful that monetize that passion for fishing. So that's just like a, a silly example, but think about what you would do if you had unlimited money or if money wasn't an uh, an obstacle and start there. I mean, I think that a lot of times, and I look, I talk to a lot of guys who are in my age range. I'm in my mid thirties, basically. I talk to a lot of guys in their thirties and they sort of went through the whole go to college, get a degree, start a job, climb the ladder, work, 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 work. And they're not particularly passionate about their job. Now they're caught in the cycle of they've acquired a primary residence, a couple vehicles, they got a family, they hate what they do, they're miserable. Uh, the Thoreau quote, you know, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. That really summarizes the modern man in a lot of ways. And and so I hear this all the time. And and you know, if you find yourself in that in that predicament, so to speak, um I I would do like if you're trying to figure out what maybe you've accrued some capital and you think you're ready to make that move. I mean, think about what we just said and then think about what people need. I think that a lot of times people start businesses just based on, um, they think it'll be a lucrative business, right? And and they don't really think about a, a business in solving a problem or or providing something that people need. And um, I think that, that's the way you successfully approach a business idea is to like survey the landscape of society and say, what do people really need today? Okay. How would I provide that to them? Okay. What skills do I have that I can leverage to provide that to them? Okay. What skills do I need to fill in the gaps with? All right. How would I start a business around that? Okay. How would I actually monetize? What would my product be? So if you start with the problem and what the solution would be, um, I think the answers start to become more clear the more you deconstruct that particular problem. So I can't remember exactly what I said to that question, but that's just my general opinion. on. No, yeah, that that was it, man. I mean, on the Instagram, uh, ask me anything. Like you only have a, a small amount of space yeah, to actually respond. Yeah. So I like that you elaborated because that's basically what you said in a more elaborate yeah. fashion. But um, dude, a theme I got out of that answer that you just shared just now was that self-awareness is so yes. important. How can I turn this into a business? What do I like? What's the problems? How am I going to make it happen? Right? I love that. If you can marry something that you're good at and that you're passionate about with a need in society, then you're on to something, right? That that is so I listened to an interview earlier today with Dana White, 
the president of the UFC. Guy was extremely passionate about combat sports and found that society really had a desire to see MMA. And so in the early days when they acquired the UFC for $2 million, everybody thought they were nuts, right? He was driven. He loved it. He eats, sleeps, and breathes MMA, combat sports. And now it's a $16 billion company, right? So he married something he was passionate about with a need in society, and he was willing to ignore the naysayers and, and trust that what he was doing created value for people because he saw that people wanted something more than boxing. People were starting to find boxing to be boring. And he knew that there was a market need, right? There was, there was certainly a desire for the incorporation of all these different martial arts into one thing. And he knew that he had the savvy to do it because he had been in the boxing world. And so he brought those two things together and and that created this beautiful thing today. That's really one of two global sports, soccer and UFC. I mean, yeah, that's it. And so, yeah, you, that's what you got to do. You got to think about what people need and and what you're passionate about, and you could see yourself doing every day. Mm. So again, recapping that, it's marrying the two of of what you're good at, and then kind of like what the problem is, but good and passionate about with what the problem is. Style thing, there. yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely, cool. man. And real quick for young guys, because I know you have young people. You might not be at that point. You might not be at the point where you can say, "Okay, I've." I'm ready to start a business. Maybe you're just fish, finishing high school or or maybe you're in high school or super young, I'm talking. What I think that young men need to do today, and, and I know where we need to wrap up, so I'll, I'll be quick on this, but this is something I'm passionate about because I hear from these guys all the time. We live in an era when masculinity has been demonized, essentially, mm-hmm. to put it simple, right? And so these young men, I mean, suicide rates are up dropout rates are up. Um, you know, ev- you go down all the markers of whether or not a particular demographic is doing well and young men are suffering in America. So they're like, what do I do? Start here. All right. Work on yourself. Mm. Okay. And because I was that broken young man and I had no self-confidence. So start building yourself up physically, start reading books, educate yourself. And here's what's really important. Start taking on responsibility and being of use to people. And that can manifest itself in many ways. It could be mowing the old lady down the street's grass. It could be helping out at some organization in your community. It could be getting a job, bussing tables or something, but start taking on responsibility because I think men need to be needed right? We need purpose. We need to, even as young men who don't even have a family yet, we still need to provide, we need to be of use. So find a way to make yourself useful to others. And that will start to build you into a man with purpose. And and it snowballs from there, right? These things, the synergy of building yourself up and taking on responsibility to help others will make you a good man. And of course, God, always God. Dude, I, I love that you mentioned that, man. That pumps me up um, just because I think young men need to hear that, right? And and to me, that could apply even if you're, you know, late 20s, early 30s and you're kind of in a, in a 100%. depressed state of like, 
go do some service, go volunteer, go give back right with your time. Yes. You don't have to give money, just give back with your time, feel needed type of thing. So absolutely. Um, dude, where, where can people connect with you? Right. I mean, you got some solid content, so I'd love for you just to share kind of some things there. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, so you can Google me. You'll find all my stuff. I'm on Instagram at I am Dave Hurt. The same on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as Dave Hurt. Um, just look for the the one with the uh, verified thing. There's a lot of imposters. Uh, my podcast is Free Mind with Dave Hurt. My YouTube channel is Dave Hurt. Um, just look for Dave Hurt and you'll find me on all the platforms. Cool. Sounds good, brother. Well, hey, thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. I for sure got a lot of value out of that episode. I know Dave dropped a lot of good tips, strategies, implementations, things that you all can do to become successful. That said, if you found a lot of value in today's episode, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And if you want to hear more from Dave, uh, be sure to follow him on Instagram as well as the other social media avenues that he mentioned. Other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend.